Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in, listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Welcome. That was loud, wasn't it? It's because I want you to wake up. All right, stand up with me if you would. Hold your Bibles up, cup your hand, your iPhone, your iPad, whatever you got. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's your declaration. We're believing it'll be true today that, uh, as Pastor Mark already said, the other Pastor Mark, that uh, whatever you came in here with, looking for answers, you'll find those answers and you'll leave uh, knowing that God is in your corner, on your side, and that you're actually feeling better. We're doing a series entitled Guess What, which is kind of a random series of trying to answer questions people are guessing about. Oftentimes, people live their life, their entire life, guessing and wondering what might have been, what could be, why are we where we're at, uh, how did we end up here at this point in our life. And we live a lot of our lives trying to figure out the past instead of looking toward your future. And there is a future hope, the Bible says, and that hope will not be cut off. And so rather than looking in the past, look in the future. What can I do differently that will set me up for God's purpose in my life? That you are fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible says, and that all of the steps that you were going to take in your life uh, were already prepared in advance for you. So God is preparing us for what he has prepared for us. And that if we will look and we will search and we will be diligent and tenacious, I believe we can get to whatever it is God has for us. The challenge is that most of us measure our lives by the people around us, the family that we were born into, and that we oftentimes go no further than that family for a couple of reasons. One, we can't see beyond uh, our own family, our own uh, lives. And we, secondly, oftentimes people don't go further for fear that they will somehow uh, make their family feel bad for the success that they have possessed. And you will be criticized in life if you do anything that's uh, notable. There will be criticism, and you have to be prepared for that. And so the real key here is asking God what he has for you. Now, many people say, well, I've never heard from God, and uh, does God speak? There, there's a thing called the Bible, and there are 66 books. And if you've never heard God, if you open the pages, you'll begin to hear God. You may never hear God audibly, though I would never argue against that. I just don't know many people who have. I do know when Jesus was baptized, there was a precedent that God spoke from heaven, and it was recorded in the Bible that they heard him. So I would not discount your experience. However, I would say this that God is always speaking, speaking through 66 books, how to respond to life, how to respond to others, how to respond to Him. And those are all words that were God-breathed and that we need to apply our lives and uh, our thoughts toward. 
So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139, verse 13, and I'll be reading out the Message Bible. And here's what's very, very important. The voices in your life will always contribute to the choices in your life. So you have to ask yourself the question, what voices am I listening to? Some of you heard voices your whole life that you'll never amount to anything. Nothing good ever happens to our family. And, and, you know, we're always on the backside of things. And you hear those things, and you begin to believe them. And young people, please get this. I was a youth pastor for more years than I can count. And, and young people are living their lives filled with questions about what they're hearing. And they're really sharp at hearing. And believe it or not, whether you think your teenagers are hearing you or not, they're hearing you. They may not be responding to you right now, but they are hearing you. So the words that you speak into their lives are critical to the future in their lives. And so we have to speak those things and water those things. And certainly there is discipline that comes with that. And there is suffering that comes with that. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. If you and I think that we're going to get through life without suffering, we're wrong. Secondly, suffering can be as redemptive as it is punitive. And we can learn from those difficulties. And that's what's so, so important. God has not removed your purpose for being here. God will never alter why you were born. Now, it may not look the way you thought it might look. It may not be looking the way you might hoped it would look. But the reality is that you and I have every day a choice to make that we choose to follow God. We choose to believe. We choose to live in faith. The Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin, and that without faith it's impossible to please God. So faith is critical to your future. And that we're all exercising faith for something, believe it or not. You say, well, I'm not. Most of you that drove here today, believe it or not, are exercising faith that when you walk out these doors that your car is going to start. <laughs> and this time of year, really so. That, you know, you're, you really are. We're all exercising faith. We just don't always see it as faith. And so it's very important that we give direction to whatever faith we possess. And it doesn't take a lot of faith to move life and move through life. The Bible says if you have faith as a, a, a mustard seed that you can speak to the mountain and say move from here to there. So it's not like you have to increase your faith, but your faith needs to be operational. And oftentimes that faith is fed or starved based on the people around you and the voices that you hear outside and the voices that you're speaking to yourself. If you ever look and you've had a bad day and say, I'm so dumb, I'm so stupid, quit talking to yourself that way. You might have made a mistake, but you're not dumb and you're not stupid. You just had a stupid moment. And there's a difference in a stupid moment and a stupid person. And I know what some of you are thinking. They're all the same to me. They're not. They're different. Okay, so Psalm 139 says, Oh, yes, you shape me in first inside and then out. You form me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I even lived one day. You're not an accident. You're not here by accident. You're not around the people you're around by accident. 
Now the challenge becomes, what do I do with where I am at? How do I live my life? How do I go from here? I'm not going to look back and say I was neglected, I was abandoned, I, I grew up in a poor neighborhood, nothing good ever happens to me. You can have all the excuses you want, but God has not forgotten you, and Jesus did not die in vain for you. That you and I need to realize that we are going to become who we're going to become by our own choosing. Now, granted, some people have it more difficult than others, and, and there are more challenges in some people's lives than there are in others. However, it doesn't mean you cannot become the person you're called to become, and that we need to have this, this new attitude, this new paradigm, and this new outlook on life. The challenge in most of our lives is we don't know our assignment. Now, oftentimes, an assignment in your life might come based on your skill set, your passions, your desires. In other words, people will often follow the things they like to do, the things they really want to do, which oftentimes contributes to how well we do those things. However, there are seasons in life when we're doing things we don't want to do that build character in us so we can do the things that we do want to do. So, you know, in, in the Dallas Cowboys organization back when Tom Landry was the coach, Tom Landry was a, a Christian, a great man, and was once asked uh, how he had built such a winner. He said, he, they said, it has to be difficult. He said, yeah. He said, I, I'm trying to get the team to do what they don't want to do so they can have what they want to have. In other words, two-a-days, sweating, exhaustion, weight room, all of those things are difficult, but in order for them to get what they want, they have to do what they don't want. This is true in life. Anybody who's gone through education or four years of college or seven years or a doctorate, maybe 10 to 12 years, that you're going, these were hard years, but they prepared me to do what I was assigned to do by God. You know, in a generation of people, that everything's a snap of the finger. You can order things online, and you can get it at your house the next day. And everything is so immediate that everybody thinks that my life ought to be great because everything in the world is at my fingertips. But the reality is life itself doesn't work that way. Your dreams, your visions, your accomplishments will not happen and get there as fast as an Amazon package. Why? Because God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. And if you get what he's prepared for you before you're prepared, what he's prepared for you will mean nothing and you won't be able to sustain it. Life itself comes with challenges. And those challenges are not built in or created to tear you down, but to build you up. And so we must face those challenges and those assignments with great tenacity and focus. And so the very first thing I want to talk to you about is your assignment. Now, you may not like where you're at right now. You may not like your position. You may not like your job. You may not like where things are at. But let me say this to you. Wherever you are right now, for some strange reason, either by your choice or God's ordination, you are where you are. And you may not want to be here. So what are you going to do to move from where you are to where you want to be? You see, it's very, very important to not let someone talk you out of where you are right now if this is where God wants you. When I was going through college and uh, studying theology and psychology, uh, neither one of those professions had a fast track 
to a job or a position after graduation. Matter of fact, they were not good degrees in the sense that, you know, you didn't look and say, man, I'm going to make a boatload of money, and it's just going to be easy. And when I graduated from college, we didn't have uh, LinkedIn. You know, we didn't have social media. This is the 80s, baby. If you wanted a job, you hoofed it. You know, you, 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 you read the ads, you did all the things, you drove, you filled out an application actually with an ink pen. Some of y'all don't know what that is. You know, you show a kid a landline, a real telephone today, say, so what was that? You know, it's this big, it's set on the counter, they don't know what that is. Show them a rotary phone, and they think you're Fred Flintstone. And so now, you know, an ink pen is becoming outdated because everything's done online, electronic signatures and so on and so forth. And so you had to look. So about my third year into college, I'm going, I'm getting a degree in psychology and, and theology. Where do I go from here? And, you know, I had, I, I had dreams. I've always had dreams and ideas and visions of what I wanted. And, and I thought, you know, I'm, I loved college so much. That I was one of those sick people that just I just thought, I'm going to go ahead and go into my master's and doctorate, and then I'm going to teach, or I'm going to do something like that. And so uh, when I, I got into my third year, I began to volunteer at a church. I'm thinking, if I'm going to be in ministry, it's probably a good thing that I learn some things practically, not just from the classroom. So for the last year of, of my education, I served at a very, very large church, and uh, I went, I, I'd always loved young people, loved teenagers. I, I still love them. I don't understand them, never have, but I really don't now. They're smarter than we are. If you want something on your iPad fixed, just ask them. Because don't ask another adult your age, because we're like morons. You know, so you, you, now we're, we're, here they are. They got all this going on. So I love teenagers. And so I, I began to volunteer or serve in the youth department. There were hundreds, if not thousands, of kids in this church, bigger than most churches all over the country. And so I was helping the, the youth pastor. I was learning a lot. He was a very gifted man. He was a great guy. He really included me. But guess what? I've got, I'm working on two degrees. And guess where I end up, what I end up doing? Being on a yellow banana school bus. I'm, I'm driving the school bus. We had, we had two locations. We had uh, five miles apart. The adults met in one place, and then we met in another place. Imagine this. Your teenagers on a bus. I know you didn't care. You were just glad to get rid of them. But I would drive, and I'm, I've got 40 hooligans, I mean 40 kids on this bus, and, and they're, they're kids. I mean, they're teenagers, and I'm driving, and I'm going, God, I am, I am smarter than this. I, I am degreed up in here, or at least a year away. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm on this bus, and I'm thinking, this is, is this my assignment? Did I do something to really make you mad, God? Why am I stuck on a yellow school bus at my age? I am an intelligent man. It's like God just, he just goes silent all, all up in me. You know, he's like. Why? That was my assignment that was preparing me for what he had prepared for me. If you can't love them when they're shouting and yelling and you can't love people in chaos, you, you ain't love them at all. I got some help from the second row. You ain't loving them at all. And so it was like God's working this in me. So then I, I began to get promoted. No pay. Let me tell you, 25 hours a week I'm serving, volunteering. At least 25. After school, I would go to the office. I would work on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night sermons for him. Help my, you know, the youth guy. Then all of a sudden I started thinking. 
I started thinking, okay, man, this is really cool. I'd like to work here. Well, he tried to get me hired on. They wouldn't hire me because they didn't want to pay because I'm, I'm getting me for 25, 30 hours a week. Why do you hire somebody when you're getting them for free? I mean, it makes sense to me now that I'm a boss. If you don't give me 25 to 30, baby, I ain't paying you nothing. And so, so then I thought, well, I'm going to apply to this university in Virginia Beach, Regents University. I thought I'll get my master's there. The, the uh, head of the program, theology program that, at ORU had transferred. He was now the head of that program, and he wanted me to come. So I got immediately accepted. So I fly to, to Virginia Beach. I'm, I've been accepted. I'm going over the campus. And so now I've got these two incredible opportunities. I, I'm wondering, what do I do? Well, now I got, I got this great church here that they started talking to me finally when you graduate we'd like to look at hiring you and now all of a sudden Regents University's accepted me and everything's great right I mean it's, it's looking good and then all of a sudden this third church came into the equation there's a little Methodist church in a small South Texas town now ironically enough and this is absolutely a true story you can google it the name of the Methodist church was St. Mark's <laughs> if God doesn't have a sense of humor and they had heard, and they said, man, they, they had about 175 people. I'm going from 12,000. They're wanting me to come to a church of 175 in a hot, humid, sticky, ugly, small South Texas town. And I'm thinking, God, there's no way. And I just couldn't let go. I thought I, I, I was making my way to the top. I'm thinking, if I get on staff at a church of 12,000... I've got it made. I'll, you know, I mean, it, 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 was, it just seemed like the right thing. Have you ever been there? It seemed like the right thing to do. And yet when it all boiled down, what ends up happening was my assignment was not in Virginia Beach, which you guys know I love water. And I love it more this time of year than ever. Because this, quite frankly, right here is not working for me. Ice cold and dark. It's like, yeah, I live in Oklahoma. It's on everybody's bucket list. They can't wait to get here. It's why the price of tickets to get here are free. <laughs> so I'm thinking, surely, God, you've called me to Virginia Beach, Virginia. There's so many people that are desperate for you here. You know how you talk to God like he's, like he's dumb? God, more people are dying and going to hell on the beach than any other place. Let me go. After all, that's where Jesus strolled. I just want to follow in his footsteps. I know he was on the beach because he was watching boats and all that stuff going on. I know that. So I'm just trying to get God on my, on my side in my corner. Then, I, then when I get to, I'm in Virginia Beach. They're showing me the housing and all that. I get a call from this big church, and they say, we want to hire you. So I'm thinking, okay, I've got this thing made. And all of a sudden, when I fly back home, God says, you're going to South Texas. Dude, let me tell you, I, I did everything I could to tell these people. I was a flaming Pentecostal. I grew up in a chandelier-swinging church. I mean, I told them, I thought, surely I can get out of this assignment by being honest. And they said, we want you. I said, no, you don't. I end up going. And I, before I went, I read the entire book of Discipline, which is the doctrinal theses for the Methodist church. And, and so I, I actually, when I read it, I got really inspired. I got excited. See, now all of a sudden, my assignment got prettier because when I read what Wesley had written and all the boys there, I was like, wow, this is cool. So I thought, I'm excited because they were a little more chandelier swinging than I thought they'd be. 
And I thought, maybe I can get on board with y'all. I can get, we can get some Red Bulls and, you know, we can light this place up. And so I go into the big meeting that they have and, and with all the, the, the groups and all these people. And I said, how many of you have read this book? Let's see what happens. What about now? <laughs> Is it, oh, there we go. Jaden, you are the man. You got to give Jaden a big hand. I don't know what you were out doing, bro, but I'm proud of you. Thank you. This guy's always here. It's not his fault. Good job. Jacob, thanks for going and getting him. And all you guys back there, I love you. Got a tough job following me. All right. Anyway, so I end up, nobody had read the book. Long story short, literal revival breaks out in this small South Texas Methodist church. So much so that the higher-ups were coming to this small town to see what we were doing, to see if they agreed with it. They didn't agree with everything we were doing, but they couldn't argue with it. So they just drove off. <laughs> the church doubled in less than like eight months. It had doubled. People were coming from everywhere. And when I say this, I'm not saying this arrogantly. I'm saying I didn't see this. I needed to see something at this level to see what God could do versus stepping into something huge that had already been done and just going, this is great. I got to see the price that has to be paid for this to happen. See, some of you have a job right now that you think is a dead-end job, but really it is the platform and foundation for your future because God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you, and you've got to have what you have right now to get to where you're going. The Bible says don't despise the day of small beginnings. You can't see your future right now because if you did, you would have a panic attack. You have an assignment. Just realize that your assignment doesn't always excite you. I'm not sure that Jesus was extremely excited when he was in the garden. And he knows he's about to be crucified. He's just had three years of incredibly successful ministry. And all of a sudden he finds himself in the place that God had called him to be ultimately. Sweating as though they were great drops of blood. Asking God himself, if it be possible, let this assignment, this is what he's saying, let this assignment or let this cup pass from me. Do you understand? That's what Jesus was saying. The, the, the suffering and the agony of that moment was so great. And yet, without that moment, without that crucifixion he's about to experience, there would never be a crown. He has to go through this to get to his ultimate place. And sometimes it seems unbearable and even impossible to get from where you are to where you dream of being. But never minimize the assignment that you currently possess. It is setting you up for a future you can hardly believe. After the assignment, what becomes most important then is the alignment. 
The Bible says, walk with the wise. If you walk with the wise, you'll grow wise, but a companion of fools comes to ruin. The people you associate with are critical to the future that God holds for you. If you get around the wrong people saying the wrong things and you try to change them to conform to what you have in you, it will not happen, nor will it work. What you have to realize is there is an alignment for you. It's kind of like what I would call Batman and Robin. Paul and Silas. You have to understand, throughout the Bible, there were holy alignments, Elijah and Elisha. Elijah comes to Elisha while he's plowing. Elisha can only see his family business. He's out plowing the fields, and Elijah comes and throws his mantle on him, signifying that when I die, the anointing that's on me is going to be on you. Elisha doesn't know what to do. Let me go tell my family bye. They have this long conversation, all that to say. Elisha ends up aligning himself with Elijah, this man of God, and the anointing that was on him passed to Elisha. Why? All because of alignment. You have to be around people who will not try to withhold or hold you back from your future. And right now you think you need them because you need their little tidbit of affirmation and whatever they offer you. But you've got to ask yourself the question, are they offering me hope? Are they challenging me? The Bible says iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. If you're around somebody who's not sharpening you and all they're doing is praising you, you will never become the person God's called you to become. Many people leave people who challenge their current state of being. Why do you think the Bible says if you spare the rod, you hate the child? A child will never grow up to be who they're called to be if all they ever hear is you're wonderful and you're beautiful. No, when you're stupid, I'm going to tell you. Because this is not going to work. We live in a society of undisciplined children, and this is why we're having the problems that we're having. I'm not saying abusive. I'm I'm just simply saying most parents want their kids to like them more than they want them to respect them. I know I'm not singing the song of our society that, well, we should never. Let me tell you something. Kids are crying for attention. It's why they're doing what they're doing. And we're not giving it to them. We're just giving them stuff to occupy them. You've got to teach alignment. Align yourself with timing. There's a time for everything under the sun, Solomon said, the wisest man ever lived. There's a time for your promotion. There's a time for your blessing. There's a time for you to be be all that God's called you. There's a time. You have to align yourself with that time. And realize that it took Joseph 13 years. From the moment he had a dream about a coat of many colors. His brothers bowing to him. And and all that that dream entailed. It was 13 years between the time that happened. Potiphar's house. The pit. The prison. Before he gets promoted to the palace. And he becomes second in command. Not so he could be arrogant. But so that he could save Egypt and Israel. In a time of famine that nobody knew was coming. God sees ahead and sees where you need to be based on what he knows is going to happen. David, anointed king by Samuel because Saul had disobeyed God and David's to be the next king. But before David was king, anointed, theologians say somewhere between 13 and 17 years had gone by before David became king. 
He aligned himself with the time and with the process. The problem is we want the promise without the process. If you get God's promise without the process, you will not be able to sustain the promise because God is in the process. When you fall down, get up. Though a righteous man falls seven times, the Bible says he rises again. There'll be people tell you, just stay down. You've done too much. Your sin is too great. What they're saying is then, in, the, in effect, is God's cross and Jesus' blood was not bigger than your sin and your crime. And that is a lie. You rise up and you say, I am in the process. Why? Because God has a promise and I'm in the process to get to the promise. I may not be where I want to be, but I'm where I need to be so that when I get to where I want to be, I can sustain the dream. You align yourself with people that believe in you and won't just tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear. We call those people enemies nowadays. God called them friends. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Some of the most significant moments in my life were not lives, moments that excited me. They were moments that challenged me. Two very dear friends of mine told me things that I did not want to hear so I could be who I needed to be and who I wanted to be. You're not going to get better if all you ever hear is how good you already are. And you should hear you're a good person. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God has a plan for your life. All those things ought to be heard. But in order to get to that plan, what's it going to take? Alignment with the process, with time, with the right people. With the right culture. You see, there are, I love the fact that in America, there's so many churches and Wonderful churches with different names on the outside of the building, different denominations. I'm so thankful for all of them. I really am. And all of them actually, not because of the name on the building, but because of the people in the building are what make that church. So there are awesome Baptist churches and Lutheran churches and Nazarene churches and all kinds of wonderful churches. But the name on the outside is not what makes them who they are on the inside. It's, it's who the people are. In Mosaic, we say we're creating a, a culture of love. Grace and mercy. You know, I love it when somebody says, I really loved your sermon. But what I love more is when they, they're out in the lobby talking. Go, man, I just love the people of this church. I don't know what he preached, but y'all are great. <laughs> I would prefer hearing that over a great sermon any day. Because what it says is we, we are a people who love each other. We have a culture of love, grace, and mercy. All people are accepted and loved. And the last thing is, once you have the assignment and the alignment, this is where the excitement comes. But most people make decisions based on excitement first, not assignment or alignment, because we like to do things we like to do. It's okay to be excited after the job is done. It's okay to be excited once you realize that, that God has refined you to a place where the things that used to bother you don't bother you. As the refining pot for silver and the furnace for gold bring forth all the impurities of the metal, so let a man be in his trial of praise, ridding himself of all that is base or insincere. For a man is judged by what he praises and of what he boasts. 
God refines. The assignment and alignment comes with refinement. And that you and I are being refined and we're going from glory to glory. And if you are unteachable and unwilling to listen, you will never, ever get to the place that God has prepared for you. We're never stopping. We're not going to stop growing personally, collectively. That God wants us to grow in all of these things. But we must allow him to continually do a work in our lives. The fruit of our assignment will only be as strong as the root of our assignment. If you don't grow deeper, you will not grow taller. You will not grow stronger. God sends us to places that we ordinarily would not want to be. I thought the last place in the world I wanted to be was St. Mark's United Methodist Church in Victoria, Texas. But it was St. Mark's United Methodist Church that laid a foundation in my soul to realize that the name on the sign didn't matter. It was the people inside. With that said, the reason we're standing here today, get this. The man I met at St. Mark's United Methodist Church is the owner of Incredible Pizza Company. Who would have thought in 1985 that I would meet a guy who would call me and say, I have a building for you in 2016. Would you like to rent it? Who would have thought all these years later that here I would be with Rick and Cheryl Barsons, who became dear friends of mine. I had all their kids in my youth ministry. They became dear friends and to this day are dear friends. When we opened this building, we said, we said Rick, we can't. Uh, Rick Barsons, I said, Rick, we, we don't have the money. We're paying $4,400 a month to rent Noah's event venue. You're asking $15,000. He said, Mark, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you $6,000 a month for the first year. And he said, so it'll only be $9,000. Then we'll raise. And so you guys need to eat it incredible pizza. Tell incredible pizza. Thank you. These are awesome people. They love God. They're giving people. And who would have known that assignment would align me with the owner of that company. Now I have excitement knowing that he and I are working together to advance the kingdom of God. They're givers. They're lovers of God. They believe in the local church. And I'm telling you, as we go out the doors today, the angel tree, we went to them. We met with Rick. He called. He was in town. And, he's, and we said, you know, we're doing this outreach to over 200 children who aren't going to have Christmas. Could you help us? They called us back and said, we'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to give you gift cards, play cards, and you can put them in every one of the gifts that you give these kids. They can come to Incredible Pizza and have an experience they otherwise wouldn't have. Church is not about a group of people meeting together to celebrate all the great things happening in our lives, but to help other people know you can too can have a celebration, and we're going to bring the celebration to you. We're going to be a blessing to you. That's what the church is called to do. And so as you exit today, the angel tree is available to you to help us help over 200 kids who are not going to have Christmas. And hopefully we have more than enough. We'll be stuffing them with incredible pizza stuff. And we've got food for them. We've got all kinds of gifts and stuff that we're taking. And so thank you so much for being a part. This is our assignment. And if you get with us, you're aligning yourself with a group of people who believe that the word of God is true. Go into all the world and make disciples. And that's our goal. We thank you so much for being a part of that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to reveal to us there is a plan that we are forgiven if we come to you. 
There is no salvation in any other name but that name, the name of Jesus. There are those of you watching online today and those of you in this room that you're searching and you are basing the possibility of salvation on your works instead of the work of the cross. Your performance instead of Christ's performance. The Bible says there's no one good, not even one. That's the reason Jesus died. It's the reason God sent him to us was realizing we cannot earn our salvation. It comes by grace through faith. We can't boast of any good works. We can't say when we get to heaven, well, I did a lot of good things. I never made many mistakes. Sure, I was like most people, but I didn't make the big one. This is not about the big one, the small one. This is about all that you and I were born into. We have sin in our DNA. And the Bible says if we'll call on the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. That's all I want for you today is to know that you don't have to be perfect to be forgiven. You just have to exercise faith. Would all of you online and in here pray this with me. Say, Father God, I come to you today humbly and repenting of my sin. Jesus, I call on your name, the Savior of the world, and now my Savior. I give you my life. Amen.